Okay. We have to transition now. One of the reasons that that song means so much to me is the line that he loves me. It's not because of me. He just loves me. I have a heavenly father who loves me more than I could ever imagine, not because I deserve it. Some of us had good experiences at home with fathers. Some of us didn't. We do not define what this book says by our experience. We define our experience by what this book, the Bible, says. And the Bible says that when we come into a relationship with God through Jesus, we have a good Father who is for us. But we don't all have that. We're in a series on spirit wars. And and knowing me, if you know me, you know what clip I want to play right now. Um, And I'm going to. (laughs) Because I can. (laughs) So... Just enjoy. Watch up on the screen for a couple minutes. You are beaten. It is useless to resist. Don't let yourself be destroyed as Obi-Wan did. And if you've not seen Star Wars, I seriously apologize for that spoiler alert. (laughs) But it's been enough decades that I don't feel bad. Here's what I know. Mike was going to have one of the verses be about Darth Vader and say, he's a bad, bad father. (laughs) 
I don't know what your experience is with fathers. So here's what I want to say. I want to say happy Father's Day. Welcome to episode three of Spirit Wars. And um, <clears throat> I just want to take a second to thank all of you dads in the house who do pour your life into your families to your kids because there's no greater investment that you can make on earth. So the question is, what do spiritual, what do spirit wars, spiritual warfare and Father's Day have to do with each other? Other than I get to wear a Darth Vader shirt. <laughs> I told Julie, I, I was looking at shirts. I think I said this last week. I was looking at shirts at Star Wars shirts and I said, do you realize I'm looking at Star Wars shirts to decide what to preach in. I have the best job in the world. <laughs> this is amazing. Anyhow, anyhow, actually uh, Father's Day and Spirit Wars have a lot to do with each other. And here's one of the reasons. Satan, from the very beginning, actually the very beginning, has hated and he has fought the family that God instituted. From the moment God created the family and Adam and Eve were there in the garden, it has been Satan's thing to destroy that. And he has done everything he can to do that. You may not recognize it. If you don't, that might be why you're losing the battle. Satan has declared war on your family. One of the fiercest battles happening in the heavenly realms, much of which we don't even see is being fought over the status of the family, over your family. We see that hatred that the enemy has on many different levels. Really, we see it on every level. But we see it on a big scale, on, the, on a cultural level. Because when we look at our culture and we see that the war um, against the family on our culture has, has progressed more in the last decade than it has in the last 200 years, we see the push. There are battles over the nature of truth. We've talked about this. We have people saying, well, that's your truth. This is my truth. And it's like, no, 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 you don't get it. Truth is truth. That's kind of what the word means. And this, the Bible, is the word of God. It is truth. And we have these battles being fought in our country over truth because people just want, they want, we want it to be subjective. We want it to be, well, this is just the way I feel. This is just the way I am. And we want, they, they want to be accepted a, apart from the standard of the Bible. We, we see this in, in the whole battle that we're seeing over sexuality and, and this whole gender identity issue. You can't open the paper. You probably don't open papers anymore anyhow. Looking at the news on your phone or however you see the news, this whole issue, here's what I want to say about it. I'm not, I'm not going to get into depth on this today, but I will say this. There is the illusion. It's an illusion that what matters most is our sexual orientation instead of our gospel orientation. What matters most is shouldn't we be properly oriented to the absolute authority of God as creator? He made us. He's told us, here's, here's what will make your life the best. Here's what will bring the most blessing on you and your family for generations to come. That's what we should be oriented to is God as the authority and as the creator. We see this on the cultural level all over the place. We see it in, in the battles over the role of parents in the lives of their kids. 
Now, I understand, especially being in the county that we're in, there's a lot of issues with that. I understand it's not a simple subject. But I do understand, too, that God has given parents authority. Have many parents abused that authority? Yes. Have many parents screwed up? Yes. My hand will be the first one up that parents have screwed up. But as a result of that, what we're seeing is the authority of parents taken away from parents. And we're seeing the result of that in many of the kids. You see, this is not, these cultural battles are not just about picking the wrong thing. It's about picking the wrong focus. About what we're really looking at, what we're really focusing on. You see, the enemy, the enemy in this battle wants to to get us to dive headlong into the battle. And he will stir up your heart and emotions on it, but he will do it on an an ill-informed, emotional level. And he'll have us make our decisions based on that, on what we feel in the moment, instead of on what is the truth of God's word. Because what I feel in the moment, what I feel in the moment is like nauseous, because whenever I talk about difficult things, it scares the liver out of me. But I can hold the Bible up and say, My feelings won't matter in a hundred years. The truth of God's word will because it will still be true a hundred years from now. It'll be true a thousand years from now. It was true a thousand years ago. It will always be true because it's truth. The enemy wants us to make our decisions based on emotions. Here's what I feel right now instead of here's what the truth of God's word is. Much of what we think is the main battle ends up just being distractions or diversions. And he gets us to focus on those things that really don't matter as much. He does it to non-Christians. He does it to Christians. He does it to people who are, who are both feet jumping into this whole Christianity thing. And he does it to people who hate it. He wants us to be distracted from what is true. So we see this battle on, a, on, on the scale of a cultural level. We also see it on like a local level, the household level. We see this battle. We see it certainly, as I said, in our county here in Pine City and Pine County in our area. Um, we, we have the distinction of, of holding you know, some, some records that are bad records <laughs> in terms of we have the most of this or the most of this. You know, a lot of places brag about we have the most parks or the most bike paths. You know, we have the most broken families. We have the most alcohol addiction. We have the most drug abuse. It's like, way we get to brag about that. We have a fair that has the highest consumption of alcohol of any fair regardless of size. I mean, not like state fair. I'm talking about county fairs. <laughs> Although I think we're a close second when you compare us to the state fair. Here's the thing. On a household level, the struggle here in Pine County, in Pine City, with the addiction and the abuse, the abandonment, the, the, the divisions we see, the brokenness, the lack of intimacy, that struggle is real. And We don't have really anybody to blame. We know there's an enemy. But we can't sit back and say, the devil made me do it. We can't sit back and just blame it on him. There's things we can do about it. But one of the first things is we have to know that that's where his attacks come. And and we will never see that and say, that's an attack of Satan. All we'll see is what's going on. But there is a heavenly battle going on for the family. We also see it on an individual level. Those who are dads. Um, how many of you in here had a dad? Can I see your hands? <laughs> you had a dad. 
You may not have known him, but you had a dad. Everybody did. You either had a dad, you are a dad. There's all kinds of different relations. And I know, I know that there are many of you that don't think very good. You're laughing on the outside, but you're not laughing on the inside when you think about that. Because the struggle on this individual personal level is real. And it's hard to get by some things. So part of it is just knowing some basic stuff. I say, I'm a dad. I'm not a good one all the time, but I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm not a good one all the time. And you might be able to say that. You might be able to say, well, you know, I'm the, the dads or the men in here. You can at least say, you know, I'm a man. I might not actually be a father, but I'm a man who others are looking to or looking at and seeing how you're behaving and what you're doing. And this whole thing about spiritual warfare, to me, it kind of strikes something up inside because when you talk about the warfare and the fighting and the battle, it makes me want to go, you know, because it's kind of a manly thing. It's time for men to step up when we start talking about these things. Here's, I think I have this up on the screen. It's on your outline, by the way. I don't think I said that. You have an outline in your worship folder that will have some verses and a few fill-ins today. And I would suggest that you do that regardless of whether you're a, a father, a mother, a man, a woman, or whatever. I, I suggest you do that because it's important today. Here's the statement I want to start out with. Because your family, however your family looks and whatever your family is, because your family is at the center of an intense spiritual conflict it is vital that you be committed to the fight. Because if you're not, the battle will still go on and you'll lose. It's vital that we're committed to the fight. Jesus talked about the kinds of threats that come at us from from every angle. And he gave us the answers to questions like, how do we remain standing against this onslaught of the enemy's attacks? It's relentless. It's in all those areas. He knows what buttons to push. He knows what things to take us down. How do we remain standing when that happens? Probably the most famous sermon ever preached was the Sermon on the Mount. It encompasses three chapters in Matthew. And I would have loved to have been there. Part of me would have loved to have been there. Part of me wouldn't. Because here's how it went down. Jesus preached this long sermon, three chapters long. He would start talking, and there would be people in the crowd that would go, Yeah, yeah, he needs to hear that. And the next thing that Jesus would say, the guy would go, Oh, (laughs) he'd go like this. And that would happen all through the crowd. Because when Jesus got done with his sermon, he had touched on pretty much everything. And when he got done with his sermon, he kind of wrapped it up. So I want to look at the wrap-up of that today. It's only four verses, and it starts in Matthew 7 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And here's what it says, Jesus' words in Matthew 7, starting in verse 24. Anyone who listens to my teaching, that's basically everything he's just said, as well as all the other things he said. But what he just got done saying, the touch and everything, anyone who, anyone who listens to my teaching, and here's the key, and follows it. You can't just hear it. You have to obey it. Is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rains come in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. You see, we look at that and that's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about our households, our lives, our families. 
And he's saying you build it on the right thing. And when the, the, the rains come in torrents, and they will, when the hardships come, when the floodwaters rise, when the wind beats against it, it won't collapse. It'll stand. And I think most of us would say, that's how I want my life to be. That's how I want my household to be. That's how I want my family to be. Because the stuff is coming. And I want to be able to stand through it. How do we do that? Jesus said, by listening to my teaching and following it. In verse 26, the but comes. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish like a person who builds a house on sand. Now that sounds nice. Like in, in a Minnesota winter, if somebody said, there's a house down on the beach, it would be really nice, you'd like it. We think, yeah, that sounds good. Except the problem with building a house on the sand is that in verse 27, when the rains and floods come, and they will, and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash because it's built on the wrong thing. If you build your house your household, your family, your life on your feelings, on your emotions, on what society says, on what you hear around you, it will collapse. And some of you could already testify to that. I'm in my second collapse, I'm in my third collapse. It collapsed because I built it on the wrong thing. We build it on the right thing that's how we remain standing. That's a summary of the entire Sermon on the Mount. So my question to you today is, do you want to stand? Do you want to remain standing against the onslaught of the enemy's schemes and tactics when he hits you? Do you want to remain standing? It's all about the foundation. That's what Jesus said. And what Jesus said is, he is the foundation. I won't go into it now. In 1 Corinthians 3, it's, it actually says those words. The foundation is Jesus Christ. That's what we build our lives on. Now, I know some of you have had a hard time already this year. Things haven't gone the way you would have planned them. There's been some hard times. There's been some tough battles. The truth is, we are in a room full of people who face that onslaught. The losses, losses of jobs and homes, loved ones, relationships, all kinds of things. We're surrounded by people who are experiencing the pain, the grief, the doubt, the fear. But Jesus says, there's a foundation. And when you build on that foundation, you don't have to worry about all those things. Because when all that hits, you'll stand. That's what Jesus is saying. So I want to give... This is kind of a Father's Day thing, so I want to give this to you men, but it doesn't matter if you're a dad. It doesn't matter if you're a mom, if you're a husband or a wife. It doesn't matter if you're a single who may or may not want to be married someday. Here's, this is truth for everybody. I want to give you three big challenges. Things that as you do battle every day to defend your life and to defend your family from spiritual attack. Very simple things from this summary that Jesus gave on a Sermon on the Mount. Here's the first one. Know who He is. Know who He is. You see, Jesus is the foundation. If you don't start there, I can guarantee you this. When the storm's over, you won't be standing. It won't go well. 
Jesus is the foundation. There isn't any other. He said, anyone who listens to me, listens to my teaching, not me. This is Jesus talking. Anyone who listens to Jesus and obeys his teaching. See, you have to know the Father. You have to know that the Father is good and that he's sovereign. And some of you can't get past your earthly father to see a heavenly father. And when you even hear the word, there's something in you that grinds a little bit. We have to get past what we've experienced and say, God, what kind of father could you be to me? Because he is a good father. He has our best interests at heart. He is good and he is for you. And you don't have to go on whatever bad experience you've had in the past. You've got to know that. You've also got to know that Jesus, you have to know Jesus as Redeemer, as King. We have to know who He is. Who He claimed to be is who He is. And when we don't know that, we get in all kinds of trouble. You have to know, as we've been talking about, the power of the Holy Spirit. The power that started the church 2,000 years ago, where the very first service of the church, 3,000 people came to Jesus. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Jesus and have claimed Jesus as a Savior and repented and believed and, and, and become a child of the King, you have that same Holy Spirit living in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead. You have to know that power. We have to know who He is. You have to know that this book, the Bible, is God's Word. It's truth. It can be trusted. You can trust everything in here. I can pretty much guarantee this. If you read this book every day, not only can you trust everything in it, you won't like everything in it. I can guarantee that. I don't like everything I read. Because some of the things speak directly to who I am, and who I am is not always who I should be. But when I let the Bible be my guide, when I, when I let the Bible be truth, I will end up standing when the storms settle. You have to know that. We talked about that a little bit last week. You have to know who He is because it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. It's about knowing a person. And that's Jesus. So, first you've got to know who He is. That's where we start. The second thing you have to know is you have to know who you are. And that's, that sounds kind of basic. It, it's not. We are having a huge identity crisis in our culture. And so many are asking the question, Who am I? What am I? Who am I? Who am I as a man? Who am I as a dad? Who am I as a son? Who am I? We're trying to figure out those questions, but here's what we forget. We don't have the luxury of simply deciding, here's who I'd like to be. We don't have the luxury of allowing the culture to tell us who we are. That won't end well. We discover our identity when we understand we were created in God's image. And we were created to reflect that image to others. And, and that when we know Jesus personally, we get recreated to show the world who our Savior is. That's who we are. We are, if you're a follower of Jesus, you are an ambassador for Christ. 
You may be the only one that they connect with that they have a chance of seeing Jesus through. That's a huge thing. We have to know who we are. Our identity, who we are, should be firmly attached to what God has revealed in His Word about who we are. It's not about who you think you are, who you feel you are. It's certainly not about who others say you are. It's about who God says you are. Star Wars. Here's how I have defined Star Wars in a sentence, at least the first six episodes. The rise, fall, and redemption of Anakin Skywalker. That's what it is to me. Because he went from being the absolute worst to being redeemed. And being, he, he used the word saved. He doesn't use it in the same context that we did. But he says that at the end. Luke says, I have to save you. And he says, you already have. You know, in James Earl Jones' amazing voice. I actually bought an audio version of the Bible one time. Simply because James Earl Jones read it. <laughs> it was the coolest thing, listening to Darth Vader read the whole Bible. It was just really cool. Anyhow. Darth Vader, this, I have him on my shirt today, okay? And, and, my, and I'm going to do this, actually. <laughs> Only because it's dry up here. Probably one of the worst examples of the father that you could imagine is Darth Vader. You saw it in the clip today. Here's what you need to take away from that. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen or how bad you are. You, too, can be redeemed. It doesn't matter how far we've gotten away from things. We can be redeemed through the sacrificial love of God's Son, Jesus Christ. That's the truth. The other half of that truth is you want to talk about a volatile, negative, dark, toxic beginning to a family? That's Luke and Leah knowing that their father was Darth Vader. That's kind of a bad beginning to a family. But in, in the movie, Luke and Leah overcame it, and they thrived, and they experienced victory. You can too. Even if your dad is Darth Vader. You can experience that. Because here's what you need to know. Your past doesn't define you unless you let it. Your heavenly Father defines you. And the key there is your heavenly Father defines you. You have a Father in heaven if you're a follower of Jesus who is good. As we sang, He is perfect in all His ways. He does exactly what He should do with your best interest at heart because He loves you more than you can ever imagine. That heavenly Father is the one who defines who you are. You don't have to live your life trying to please your earthly Father. I see so many people doing that. I see people striving to please their earthly father long after that father is dead. And I want to say, he is no, no more pleasable now than he was then. He wasn't a pleasable person. And if you spend your life trying to please that person, you're spending your life trying to please the wrong person. We live for an audience of one, and that's God. And your heavenly father is the one who defines you. Your foundation defines you. And your foundation needs to be Jesus. So, first, you've got to know who He is. Second, you've got to know who you are. 
The third big challenge as you do battle every day to defend your family against spiritual attack. Number three, know what you're here to do. Because that's very easy to get that confused. I'm here to, to, to do this, and, and nine times out of ten, people will, will insert into that their job or their career. That's not what you're here to do. Do you need to have a job? Yeah. Bible says if you want to work, if you want to eat, work. That's how it works. But that's not what defines you. You are here on a mission. And God gives us jobs and he gives us occupations and he gives us careers, not to just have a career, but to use that to fulfill our mission. We're not here to serve ourselves. We're not here just to strive for happiness. I've told you this a million times. If you spend your life looking for happiness, you will never find it. If you spend your life on mission for God, you will find happiness. Because he's the one who made us. We're here to raise another generation that will faithfully know, love, and serve Jesus. Who will faithfully let other people see who God is. As this generation we raise lives out his purposes. We are here to raise up a force that can carry the good news of the gospel into every single inch of this community and literally of the world to tell every creature about the goodness of God and the gospel of Jesus. That's our mission. The other stuff is important, but it's secondary. That's our mission. So here's the thing. We've got work to do. You want fulfillment in your work? Work for God. We've got work to do. We've got a fight to win. We have got a fight to win because there is a battle going on. And the people who sit back and choose to do their own little thing while the battle goes on will not be standing when the storm clears. Here's what I can tell you. Based on my faith in that father who loves me more than I could ever imagine, it will be worth it. It will be worth it. I have had so many people tell me how stupid I am. That I have spent my whole life I have spent my retirement on my mission, on my family, and on my mission. And I'm not going to retire in the lap of luxury on, you know, a beach somewhere, enjoying life for, for those last few minutes. And, and as I'm at this end of my life, you'd think I would be saying, oh, that was kind of a dumb decision. <laughs> the closer I get, the more I realize what an amazing decision that was. I don't have time, but I would like to bring my rope out for you. Because I have a rope in my closet to remind me of this. I have a yellow rope, and I could stretch it from down the hall to up here, and you would see my big yellow rope. I have it in my closet on an orange reel. On the end of the rope is a piece of tape about this long, wrapped around the end. That rope reminds me every time I see that in the closet, that little piece of tape, that's my life. The rest of that rope represents for me eternity because this part my life part it is short we might get 60 70 80 90 100 years 120 years maybe you're gonna live to be 150 it's like okay compare that to a million years big honking deal 
Do we really want to spend most of what we have on that little end of our rope so that the last little couple millimeters will be really good? Or do we want to spend what we have so that the rest of that eternity will be good? That's what the battle is about. It's a battle for your soul. And it's a battle for the souls of those around you. So we've got work to do. We have got a fight to win. And it will be worth it. But you've got to know who He is. You have to know who you are. And you have to know what you're here to do. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads as we pray. Father, I know, I know that there are so many distractions. I know there are so many things that pull us from our main task, our main cause. And I pray that we would be able to get back to that by, by focusing on who you are, by knowing who we are, and by knowing what you put us here to do. And that by, by following that, by obeying that, by looking at the truth of your word, by, as Jesus said, hearing his words and following them, we would have that good foundation. We would be like the, the home that is built on the bedrock, that when the winds come, when the storms come, we stand. And that we would not be like so much of our culture that is building their lives, building their homes, building their, their families on the sand, uh, on what changes with the winds of time. Knowing that when, when that storm hits, they won't be left standing. The crash will be great. My prayer, Father, is that everybody hearing this today would say, I'm in. Maybe you know Jesus, maybe you've already believed and received and you've crossed that line from unbelief to belief and you say, today I am claiming again, I know who he is, I know who I am. My past does not define me, God does. And I know what he's called me to do and by the power of the spirit that he's placed in me, I'm going to do that. I'm going to spend every single day doing that. I'm going to begin each day that I have for the rest of my life digging into the truth of your word, allowing you to speak to me through it so that as Jesus said, I can not just hear it, I can follow it. And Father, for anybody who's listening to this, who you're not their father yet. They've never turned to you as father. They've never turned to you and come to you through Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. That this morning they would realize, it's not about church, it's not about religion. It's not about following a certain set of rules. It's about you. And that what they need to do is turn from their way and turn to your way. That they can turn to you in, in repentance and faith and become a child of the King. They can believe and receive. They don't have to understand everything yet. We know that seeing isn't believing when it comes to your kingdom. You've told us that when we believe, then we'll start to see. And I pray that, Father, by faith, anybody here who's never done that would in simple faith turn to you and say, Jesus, I believe you died for me on the cross. You paid for my sin on the cross. I receive you as my Savior. I thank you that you will give me the gift of the, the Holy Spirit in my life, that I will have your presence in my life for the rest of my life and the same power that raised Jesus from the dead to help me to get through every day. Father, thank you for all that you're doing in us and through us here in this community. 
as, as we fight this battle. Help us to, to fight it in such a way that we stand strong and people see the, the victory and the blessing that comes from following you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand for the closing song.